Welcome into the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's because we're here on a weekend or whenever you listen to this, maybe you checked your, your podcast feed on a Monday morning as you're getting into work. Uh, but it's an emergency podcast, and that's because the Oregon Duck football program continues, Eric, to pull in four-star recruits, and the latest verbal commitment comes on Saturday. Dave Iuli from Puyallup, Washington, and Puyallup High School, a six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pound interior offensive lineman, meaning guard center prospect, the ninth best interior offensive lineman in the country, the third best player in the state of Washington for class of 2022, and nationally the 194th best player in the country has given his verbal commitment, and he picked the Oregon Ducks over Cal, Oregon State, USC, and Oklahoma. There are quite, there's quite a bit of historical significance here. Um, how about this to, in terms of the state of Washington? This is the best recruit. This is the only four-star recruit even Oregon has landed from the state of Washington since 2005. Does that not blow your mind, Matt? Yeah, that's pretty. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at this like, am I on the right tab? Because this almost feels just completely impossible. But yeah, since Jonathan Stewart, who was a five-star recruit in 2005, um, this is the best recruit Oregon's landed from the state of Washington. The third best recruit um, from the state Oregon has ever added to a class. Um, Stuart and Aaron Clovis was an offensive line recruit in 2004. Um, so Iuli, who I think feels to some right now in this class, not as an afterthought, but not maybe as like a priority guy, like historically he's really significant. Um, and you know, beyond that, he's the eighth best offensive lineman Oregon has ever landed a commitment from. And frankly, in this class, he's the number two rated player. So, I mean, I, I know offensive linemen aren't always the ones that get fans super excited. Um, but if you're an Oregon football fan right now, you probably should be excited by, by just what's going on on the offensive line. And, and Iuli is just the latest one to commit. I've got a film review up on the site. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. But I mean, this is this is a big physical mauler of a guy. And if you were, you know, if there were questions about how many offensive linemen Oregon would take in this class. I think we've answered that a couple times. Um, a guy like Euly felt like a must take. And, and I think a really big, you know, addition here, it feels kind of quiet because it takes place on a Saturday and it's an offensive lineman, but um, this is a big time addition for this class. I like the fact that Euly is a guy that has position versatility. Like mm-hmm. he's capable of playing center if Oregon wants him to. He's capable of playing either left or right guard. And if Oregon gets in a pinch, he's also a, a good enough athlete and he's tall enough and he's got the long you know, arm reach to play tackle. I mean, he, he's probably not going to be like a Pene Sewell left tackle. No. But you could put him at right tackle and get very good production from him if, if you needed to. And so I, I like the fact that Dave Uli is coming into uh, Oregon with the idea that he can give you versatility. And like he's coming to play in the interior, but Uli can also cover ground for an injury or maybe a guy transfers, maybe a guy goes pro early. 
Maybe a guy just doesn't pan out. And he gives you that position versatility. I, I, I highly value guys that have that versatility. I mean, obviously it's, it's talked about even more at length at basketball, but from a football standpoint, if you can find a guy that can play two positions or two different kind of styles, that's really good. If you can give, if you can gotta find a guy that that's able to do three, you're in a position now where it's like, you're almost landing two players. And we should know Eoli played left tackle this last season at Pialop. Um, that's, you know, go watch his film. I think that stands out as, Hey, this is a projected guard, but he plays tackle in high school. And that's pretty common, especially at non like powerhouse high schools where you're, you've got a guy who's a four-star major D one guy. And maybe he projects best as a guard. You're probably just going to play him at tackle because he's more valuable there. Um, you know, I don't want to speak entirely to Pialop's <laughs> offensive line rotation, but I'm going to guess there's not any other, you know, four-star, borderline four-star guys hanging out on the roster who would play over him at that spot. So, but like Matt said, I think there is positional versatility between guard and tackle. I think I, I look at him and see, this is a guard. There's a reason he's ranked that way. Right. Um, the things that really impressed me on film, first off, just the first three clips, he basically pancakes guys. The guy tries to get up as the play is going and he puts them right back on their backside and I just like the nasty streak. The guy just plays kind of mean. Kind of, he's kind of a he's kind of a jerk on the football field, which you, you usually hear someone referred to as a jerk, and it's like a negative thing. In this instance, it's kind of a really good thing. Um, and you Dave have, is like the nicest person I've off talked the field. to in this room. <laughs> yeah, and that's always the funny thing about about the athlete is sometimes the nice kids are also the meanest kids, and, and vice versa. Sometimes maybe the the kids that are a little bit meaner off the field aren't as me on it but like I, this kid is just he's pretty rugged out there he'll take dudes off take dudes down and, and it's very physical at the point of attack and will fit in really really well with what Oregon you know has done under Mario Cristobal and, and and kind of I see a little bit of shades of like a Shane Lemieux there in terms of just the size at 6'5 and yeah, a that's a good physicality. that's a good comp yeah like Shane I remember you know, Shane's a big dude very athletic too and I don't know I'd love to maybe ask Brandon Huffman um yeah, his thoughts on that comparison, um, but that that off the top rope, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's, and I see, I think you see shades of that here, and a guy who's like, I think day one going to be an impact in the run game. You know, when, you know, assuming day one, I mean, when he plays, he's going to be impactful there because he's just big, strong, and physical, and knows what to do up front. I think some of the pass protection stuff maybe takes a little bit longer, although if he's playing guard. Um, it, you can kind of minimize some of that, I think. So I, I really like this. And then I think, Matt, if you look at it from what Oregon has coming in and just kind of project down the line here, and it's almost impossible because there's so many players and we don't know how all this is going to work out. But I think you could envision a scenario where you would have an Iuli at like left or right guard yep. and you've got Kelvin Banks and Kingsley Sumataya at the tackles um, and probably Jackson Powers Johnson at center. And, and I don't know who fills in at the other guard. And you'd feel really, really good about where things are at. And again, I'm running through guys who are all 2021 and 2022 commitments. And that's intentional because I just think it's worth noting that in the last two cycles, you could put together a really, really good um, five-man offensive rotation um, just based upon commitments and signees the last two cycles. And what's, what's crazy about – and this is why Oregon is going to continue to ascend higher than the rest of the conference – is because they are straight up dominating the recruitments on the offense and defensive lines within the league. I'm not saying that, that they're dominating across the country, but just in in their own spec. I mean, they are offensively. They're they're doing a very good job along the offensive line nationally. I'd love to see 
uh, them in this recruiting class go out and land some big fish along the D line. Um, but they, this is why they are going to continue to ascend in the conference because you just listed off those guys that you feel like, Hey, like in a couple of years, these are starters. Okay. Well, we haven't even mentioned the fact that you, you didn't bring up, uh, Let's see here. Jonathan Dennis, a four-star offensive guard who yeah. is from Florida. Uh, you, you did not bring up the fact that Oregon also has um, four-star offensive tackle Jonah Miller, or interior offensive lineman Jonah Miller, four-star offensive tackle Brand, uh, Brandon Wham uh, on this program. Uh, they've, they've landed a couple other guys, and, and I mean, everyone is extremely high on three-star uh, center Logan Saglapula. Um, I mean, th- that's three or four guys right there that any other year we're talking, these are future star players for Oregon. And they're not even in that first kind of group that you mentioned. That's how good Oregon's recruiting is right now. I mean, Jalen Jeffers, Marcus Harper. Um, this this offensive line, Eric, I, I this doesn't even feel like a hot take anymore. Mm-hmm. It's by far the most talented group on paper we will see going into the 2022 season. Yeah, no, and I, I think the thing here that you're, you're starting to notice is there are going to be some really good players who just probably never start, right? I mean, we, we run through those names, and I'm going like, where does Jonathan Dennis or Bram Walden fit into the future if those guys are interior or, or you know, I mean, in Dennis's case, he's supposed to be a center guard. Well, what about Powers Johnson, and what about – Iuli and what about uh you know a couple other guys on the team right now well maybe he never even starts and this is a guy that people have been raving about since he's gotten here and the same thing with like a Bram Walden I'm like if he's a tackle and you've got Banks and Sumatia that's going to be hard for him to play tackle maybe he slides in and plays one of the guard spots but what you notice I think just you know looking up and down the the roster at the younger guys is that there's going to be some like total studs or guys that people were really high on as recruits that are going to come in and they're just not going to play. Like they're yeah. just going to have a really hard time playing. And maybe this is where that like six or seven man offensive line rotation really becomes valuable where they really do continue this down the line. Cause they just have so many talented guys. Um, I, I'm sc- sort of skeptical of that big picture, but I, there, there's going to be some, like I said, there's going to be some really talented guys that are probably like top 10 in program history as offensive line commits that are simply not going to play very much just because they're surrounded by so many good players. And the, the importance of recruiting at a high level year over year is because guys aren't going to pan out. Guys maybe aren't going to play out their entire four or five years at Oregon. And you're going to have some early defections because guys go pro and whatnot. But more often than not, the cream rises to the top and, and kind of the best players of your group kind of emerge. And when it's, a bunch of three-star guys and a few four-stars, it's not very hard for that four-star guy to kind of become an elite, you know, to become a starter. But is he really going to be that special because the competition around him isn't, isn't pushing him that hard. But when, when you go out and every single year you're signing a five-star and a four-star and you're bringing in top 200 players every single year, your position like continues to elevate and the talent continues to elevate to the point where it's like, yeah, he's an okay lineman, but we're talking about a guy that would probably start at seven or eight other 12 schools in the conference. And that's how you get to the level where you're competing for national championships, where your 
average to decent player is a clear cut starter for, for every other program in the conference. And that's kind of where Oregon's going with the offensive line. And I think even Alex Mirabal made that comment this past spring, or maybe it was last, I think it was this spring of like, he thought that their second five guys would all have a chance to start at at least a couple Pac-12 schools, you know, and that speaks to the depth and that's depth that doesn't include guys in 2022 and, and includes like first impressions of kids from 21. Um, and the 21 class is like all top 10 kids and, you know, from the position all time, not all, but like the three of them are three of the top eight guys are from that cycle. Um, you know, in Sumatia Walden and, and Jackson Powers Johnson. So um, that's a lot of praise before it really gets into the middle of this 21, 22 class, these two classes here, which I think are like going to be staples for the program going forward. Like if Oregon does make a run at a championship in the next two to three to four years, I guarantee a big part of that is going to be because of the kids that they're landing in these last two cycles up front. I think that's going to be huge. And when you get into these games against the, you know, the SEC caliber athlete, at least offensively, Oregon, I think, can hold up now against some of these teams. You think about Oregon, you know, having issues in the past against, you know, an LSU, uh, you know, the opening game of that season, Auburn to play for a championship. This is all under Chip Kelly. Even Auburn, maybe this most recent time, you know, Oregon obviously had some good players on the offensive line, but they had some issues. I I don't think that's going to be a a problem Oregon is going to have going down the line when they play these, you know, preeminent powers, you know, and try to defend against the pass rush. I think they're going to be able to stunt, you know, stand up a lot better. And now it's just a matter of everything else kind of falling into place where, which by the way, you look at the recruiting rankings, you should have some optimism that, that that's also being sorted out too right now. Real quick to tie the bow on just the significance of the, the talent on paper now along the offensive line with Dave Uli in the fold. Seven of the 11 highest rated offensive line commits in program history are going to be on, are going to be eligible to be on the roster in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. one of those guys that's not among those seven is Penny Sewell who just got drafted uh, another one who could have been, but injuries prevented him to, uh, Jonah Tuanu. And then you have Aaron Clovis and you have Andre Y, uh, Andre Yurga Tuluena, uh from the class of 2011. So you basically look at the, the 11 guys, the top 11 commits in Oregon program history, and Mario Cristobal is responsible for landing nine of those 11 guys and bringing them to Oregon in his, what, four or five true recruiting classes. I mean, that's, that is phenomenal. It is. And I just did like a, and this was pre EULI commitment, but I I did a a story, you know, uh, about 10 days ago when Melba Matt was on vacation of just like, like basically the entire half of the roster, more than half of the roster in 2021, this is not include 22 recruits like Iuli are, are Mario Cristobal recruits that are among the 10 best players at their position group that have signed with Oregon over the last 20 years. So it, this, just stacking it on top of each other, the talent here, this is what happens. You just accumulate a lot. Um, real quick, Matt, I wanted to ask just in 2022, do you think this is now five verbal commitments on the offensive line? Four of them are high school kids. One of them is Percy Lewis, who's a top, who is the top junior college player in the country, regardless of position. Are, are, is Oregon done here? Like, I know we talked about on the Wednesday's show, the mailbag. We were asked a little bit about Josh Connerly. Like, 
is that over? Or, or do you think in theory they could find a sixth spot? You know, we just ran, and I, part of the reason I asked, we just ran through all the guys on the roster potentially in 21 and 22. Like, is Iuli, does he kind of make it, or Iuli make it less of a take for a Connerly, or, or does it matter that much to you? Well, I mean, if Connerly wants to come to Oregon, you take you're going to take him. Like, you're, you're not turning down um, the third best offensive tackle in the country, even though you have the second best. I mean, he's a top 20 player. So, he wants to come. Uh, you let him come. I, I kind of wonder if Tyler Booker, a four-star offensive tackle from IMG Academy in Brenton, Florida, uh, Florida, the fifth best offensive tackle in the country. I mean, it, I'm almost to the point where if he wants to come, you probably make room. Um, you probably continue this stockpiling of, of talent along the offensive line. Um trying to find interior offensive linemen um, that are must-takes. I think Ernest Green from St. John Bosco, four-star guy, the second-best interior offensive lineman in the country. Um, If he wants to come, he's probably the only other interior offensive lineman that you would take a verbal commitment from. So, I mean, I I guess the answer is if if your name is Ernest Green – Tyler Booker, um, may, uh, Josh Connolly, um, maybe, and I'm saying this in a really big maybe way, uh, East Eston Harris Jr. from Auburn, Alabama, a three-star offensive tackle. Um, only if you think he, he can play multiple positions, so he can play defense, um, Maybe you and maybe you think if hey, there's there's a possibility one of these guys that's currently committed might might open up and go somewhere else that maybe opens the door for Eston Harris Jr. Um, outside of that, I can't I can't see it. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard to find room to to add other players if you're if you're not one of the guys I just named. Um, and, and honestly, at, at this point now, like you're taking guys from a luxury standpoint, right? Like exactly. It's not a, it's not a, Hey, we need one more guy because of if we get hit by a couple injuries, we're not going to have the depth and the, t- and the talent in the depth chart to, to continue to play at a high level. So we need to add another guy like that that's come and gone. That that's gone now. So now it's, if you're Oregon and you're adding, offensive lineman to this recruiting class, which now sits with 16 players currently committed, it's a luxury. And you're you're choosing to add a luxury to, to that spot and possibly cutting short or eliminating entirely another position in their numbers. Yeah, I think that's where it gets complicated and what kind of why I asked the question of like I think Connerly and you mentioned a couple other names that that are also I think takes as well. Um Green in particular and Booker just seem like guys that, yeah, if they, they, they're obviously high interest. If they want to take, you know, they, they want to commit to Oregon, you take them. But I, I also, part of me kind of wonders like, you know, how much more room do you really have right. from a luxury take perspective at this specific position, just because like we ran through earlier and, and maybe this all, maybe the plan here is here. You take a lot of guys and there's going to be enough turnover and you understand that going in and you, you're accepting of the fact that, you're going to sign six or seven kids each cycle and know that a couple of those guys are probably going to look to transfer by the time, you know, two years down the line when the next cycle comes in. And so there's not a total glut here, but I also look at it and just go like, there's a 
I was going to use a dirty word, Matt. <laughs> I, I'm going to hold myself. There was a there was a crap load of players, Matt, um, that I just look at that are currently on scholarship on the offensive line that I just don't see how they're all going to play. And it, does it make sense to bring in a bunch more guys now? I guess if you think those guys are just better than the guys you have currently on the roster and it's going to work itself out. But I just also look at it and go like, boy, taking six this cycle after how many you took last cycle, how many are on the current roster, feels like a lot to take is all I'll say. I, I think if you're going to go out and you're going to and you're going to pluck another offensive lineman in this recruiting class, there's a couple things to read about it. One, you're not as confident at another position um, where maybe it's it's a little bit still a need to a little, still a little bit of a luxury to take an additional guy or maybe a third guy instead of two. And so you're not as confident in, in filling that spot. And so you're, you're taking the offensive lineman Two, You're also saying, you know what, we're going to continue this mantra of, Hey, comp- we breathe competition at Oregon. And I mean, how many times a year does Mario Cristobal talk about creating competition and how competition, you know, elevates the program, elevates the standard and, and really sets the tone for his program. And he talks about it almost every day. Um, So you want to continue to bring in fresh competition for the current guys. And then third, and maybe for me, most importantly, I think this is them seeing some writing on the wall for some of these younger guys sure. and saying, it's not going to work out. We're going to reload and just natural progression. The guy's going to look at it and go, well, I'm not playing already. I didn't play last year. I'm not playing this year. And they're bringing in even more guys at my position. I need to leave because I want to play. And they're bringing in more guys, making my job even harder. Like you'd kind of naturally create that. I don't want to use this term, but I'm going to like pushing a guy out of the program without actually pushing him out of the program. Yeah. They make the decision themselves, but you made it clear. Hey, I, we're recruiting over you. Like you're, you're just not going to play here and you can stay. But if you, if, if you want to play, it's not going to be here. Well, it's, it's the tough, I guess the tough part of the job, but it's a real part of it. And, and again, you know, the acquisition element of this is going to, at times, I think, um, (laughs) override the development part. And those are two things that are very important with the program and two things. Cristobal talks a lot about is player acquisition and player development. And at a certain point, you can develop a guy as much as you want, but you bring in a guy who's better than that. And the guy who's developing, even if he's made massive strides, might just not be good enough to see the field over a kid who's more talented and who's coming in now. And I think I do, again, I think that's the thing you're going to see here. And that's going to be the least the thing that's going to be interesting to watch the next couple of cycles is the kids that are currently on the roster that are maybe a year or two older than the 21 and 22 kids. How do they fare? Can they hold up? Or is this going to be a deal here in 2022 and beyond? Because 2021, this upcoming season, there are going to be a lot of veterans that play a lot. But beyond that, you, I could see a scenario where like in 2022, 23, you're seeing a ton of freshmen or second year players playing a lot of football. And it's going to be up to some of these older guys, you know, the Dawson Yaramillos, the Logan Sagapalus, the Jonathan Dennis. I call them older guys. They've only been in the program a couple of years. But it's going to be up to them to kind of hold off some of these younger, um, more highly rated players, at least coming into the program. It also gives you an idea of kind of like what's, what to expect in 2022 from uh, a group of four juniors that all got an extra year of eligibility. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and sure. TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, 
and Malasala Mabelu. Um, those four guys are were all supposed to be seniors in 2021, but because the NCAA gave them an extra year because of COVID during the fall of 2020, it now becomes a free year, and they go into 2021 as juniors, giving them that 2022 senior year. Is Oregon expecting all four of those guys or most of those guys to say, you know what, even though I have another year, I'm ready to leave and, and move on to, to, to the next level? Um, or do they, do they come back? That's, that's, a, that's probably another tough aspect of this is what, how do you handle those four? And because obviously you want them on the, in the program, you welcome them in the program, but at the same time, um, kind of need to know, like, do we, do we get you or are you going to, gonna go like and that make the uncertainty makes it hard to recruit for but at the same time it's probably a good problem to have if you're mario cristobal right now and i think we're getting some of the answers in 2022 in the class at least with how many they're taking that they expect some of those guys will will maybe look to to do something else after 21 it's gonna do it for us here on the Autzen audibles podcast this emergency edition breaking down the verbal commitment from dave iuli uh, four-star offensive lineman from Puyallup, Washington, and Puyallup High School. Uh, more coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Eric's got more stuff up there. I've got a couple things that are up as well, plus our regional and national coverage from 24-7 Sports is up on Duck Territory as well. Until we talk to you here in the next couple of days, minus a breaking news event, uh, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.